Welcome to Time Travelling Team, the weekly podcast where we review every story of Doctor Who right from the very beginning. I'm Trisha. And I'm Paddy. Today we will be discussing the single episode story, Mission to the Unknown. We will talk through the different characters and the villains, and then give our thoughts on the story itself. We'd also love to hear your thoughts on this story, so to join on the discussion, you can check us out at Time Teamp, that's T-I-M-E-T-E-A-M-P, on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, or you can email us at timetravellingteamp at teamproductions.com. Now though, on to the story recap. Mission to the Unknown. An unconscious man wakes up in a daze in the midst of a jungle. His memory slowly returns to him as he draws his blaster, and he repeatedly says that he must kill. In a nearby clearing, two men are attempting to repair their damaged spaceship. The captain of the ship, whose name is Lowry, complains to his colleague, Corey, over the orders to Lowry to land on the planet. Corey suggests that they save their strength and focus on repairing the ship rather than bickering, as the jungle is filled with the sounds of terrifying creatures. As they work, they wonder where their colleague has disappeared to. Unbeknownst to them, Garvey, the man from earlier, is stalking them as he still mutters the word, kill. He takes aim at Lowry with his blaster, but before he can shoot, he is killed by Corey. Lowry is shocked at these turns of events and flies at Corey in a rage, only to be slapped and sent to the ground. Corey investigates Garvey's body and discovers that he has been impaled by a Vargathorn, a local plant whose venom turns those affected by it into homicidal maniacs. Corey goes back to the ship and Lowry follows after him after he gathers up Garvey's belongings. After they leave, Garvey's hand starts to twitch and clench, showing signs of mutation. Inside the ship, Corey reveals that he is a space security service agent and that he has used his authority to commandeer Lowry's ship. Lowry agrees to follow his orders, but he wants to know what is going on first. Corey informs him that he has come to investigate Dalek activity in the sector. Ever since the Dalek invasion of Earth 1,000 years previously, the Space Security Service has been keeping tabs on the Daleks and their slowly expanding empire in other sectors of the galaxy. He informs Lowry that a Dalek ship was spotted in this region and he intends to find out its intent. Corey says that the reason he ordered Lowry to land on the planet is that it is so inhospitable that it would make the perfect location for a secret Dalek meeting. He further backs up this claim by stating that the Varga plants are native only to Skaro, the Dalek's home planet. Outside, in echo to this, Garvey's body fully reanimates, but it is also completely mutated into a Varga plant. At a secret base, a group of Daleks are preparing for a conference between them and the delegates of six other galaxies. A security report comes in and says that they have located the craft spaceship and a patrol is sent to destroy and kill the crew. Back at the ship, Corey is observing the perimeter as Lowry tries to rig up the rescue beacon. He urges Lowry to hurry as they witness a group of Varga plants slowly making their way towards them, pulling themselves along by their roots. Lowry is still sceptical of Corey's beliefs that the Daleks are on the planet, but continues on with his work after Corey snaps at him. He tells Corey he has done what he can, but it's still a long shot that anyone would pick up the beacon. Just as they finish talking, they observe a large spaceship entering the atmosphere, but it's not a design that they are familiar with. Corey takes its arrival as confirmation that something is going on on the planet, and the Daleks are at the centre of it. Corey hears something approaching their position quickly, and he takes Lowry to hide in the undergrowth. They hide just in time to see the Dalek patrol arrive, a witness says their ship is destroyed. Corey says that they need to leave, but as they make their way through the jungle, Lowry is impaled by a Vagathorn. At the meeting chamber, the six delegates arrive and the meeting gets underway. One of the delegates is reluctant to proceed due to the presence of the humans on the planet, but the Dalek Supreme assures them that the problem has been taken care of. The delegate is still sceptical as he is afraid they will get a message off the planet, but again the Dalek Supreme assures him that the humans will be long dead before that occurs. The delegates all agree to the alliance and they all rejoice at the prospect of their impending invasion of the Sol system. 
Back in the jungle, Cory returns to Lowry and tells him what he has observed at the meeting place, but Lowry shores him the wound from the Vargathorn and his rapid mutation. He begs for Cory to kill him, and Cory does so, and then records a message for the beacon, informing whoever comes across it of the impending invasion. Just as he finishes, the Dalek patrol enters the clearing and kills him. They make their way back to the base, assured that the, their plans are still safe, but fail to notice the intact beacon and recorder under a nearby bush. In the meeting chamber, the members of the Deadly Alliance repeatedly chant the word victory as they marshal their forces for the invasion. End of the story. So now that's the story recap out of the way, we're going to go over to Trish for some trivia. So over to you. Thank you very much. So, the air date for Mission to the Unknown was the 9th of October, 1965. I'll give you two guesses who wrote this story. Um, I think it might be something to do with that nation, lad. Yeah, Terry Nation. It's a Dalek story, early in Doctor Who's run. It's written by Terry Nation. Terry actually wrote this script partially as an attempt to sort of get his own Dalek spin-off created. So the proposed series would actually focus on the Space Security Service, or like James Bond in space, Mm -hmm. and they would be tasked with hunting the Daleks. And that was kind of this thing that he was trying to get off the ground. It obviously didn't work, or we would have heard of it. Yeah. But that's where he was coming from when he wrote this. And like, I remember when I first heard that and I was like, nah. But then after kind of having, you know, rewatched stuff and gone through like the entirety of the show, it's like... I I think I would have been interested to see a small bit of that. Yeah, like I'm. Maybe as a limited team, like a mini series. Yeah, I think that'd be a good idea. We'll get into that more, I think, later on in our discussion. But I think it would be an interesting experience anyway. Mm. The director for the story was Derek Martinus. We spoke about Derek just last week, as he also directed Galaxy Four. So this and Galaxy Four were recorded in like the same recording block. Mm. So he just did both of them. We have four more stories to see from Derek, which are The Tenth Planet, The Evil of the Daleks, The Ice Warriors, and Spearhead from Space. That's actually pretty cool, because like, as we kind of said, like Galaxy 4 is it's probably not the best Who story. No. Uh, but these four that he's also directed are, like, there are some like really milestone moments in the show. Yeah, and he got to be the first director to direct Doctor Who in colour. Yeah. Which is great. So this is the last story for which we have Verity Lambert serving as producer. So a little bit of information about Verity. We've discussed her back at the start, but we'll go into a bit more detail about her. So a reminder that when Verity first got the job as producer on Doctor Who, not only was she the youngest producer at the BBC, she was only 28, but she was also the only female drama producer at the BBC. And not everyone was happy to have her there or confident that she'd be able to pull it off hmm. so given the legacy that the show has had i mean never underestimate a 28 year old who has a job to do yeah in terms of her leaving the show and you know moving on to different pastures verity said it was time for her to move on because she'd been working like practically non-stop for 18 months on these two seasons and a bit of the show and she felt the show needed someone to come in from a different view she said in later interviews that like she knows that like soap opera producers and things like that 
do the show for years, but Doctor Who is very intense. And also because of the type of storytelling, she felt it was important that, okay, she had her mark on the show and her ideas. It was no time to step back and let someone else come in and add their ideas to the show. Yeah, no, because like, I've often said like that her ten- tenure on the show, I would refer to it as the golden period for Hartnell. Yeah, and from what I've read up for next week's episode and the person who takes over from Verity, bear in mind I haven't seen any of these, uh, I think I would be inclined to agree with you. (laughs) (laughs) So after she left Doctor Who, she did continue working with the BBC for a time before she left in 1969. And she had an amazing career. In 1974, she became the head the head of drama at Thames Television and was also responsible for overseeing Houston Films, which were the film branch of Thames Television. She also had her own production company at one point. So, like, I mean, she had an amazing career, mm. which kind of culminated for her in a way in 2002 when she was awarded the Order of the British Empire for service to film and television making her the first producer in Doctor Who to ever receive an OBE. So another milestone on Verity's uh, <laughs> yes. uh, tracker. She was due to receive a Lifetime Achievement Award at the Wilman Film and Television Awards in December 2007, but sadly she passed away before it could be presented to her. It was awarded to her posthumously, though. Verity passed away in 2007, the day before Doctor Who's 44th anniversary. In July of 2014... One of those blue heritage plaques mm. that you see dotted around the place was unveiled by the Doctor Who Appreciation Society and the Riverside Trust at Riverside Studios. The plaque commemorates Verity at Riverside and elsewhere and was unveiled by Waris Hussein, who, even after Doctor Who, continued to be a longtime friend and colleague. And um, I, I think... I'm, I, I, I need to double-check, but I think... Uh... That year's Christmas special, uh, sorry, 2007's Christmas special, Voyage of the Damned, is actually uh, dedicated to her. I think it is as well. Like yeah. One of the things that I love is, particularly in New Who, uh, it started with Russell T. Davis and it has kind of continued with Moffat and the other producers, is that they recognise the amazing job that she did. Mm. So as we go through future stories, you know, it will crop up oh, if you notice such and such Easter egg is a reference to Verity. Yeah. And they do do it, I would think, a fair bit, you know, more so than you'd maybe expect. So while she's sadly not with us, thank you, Verity, for giving us Doctor Who. Absolutely. So let's double back around onto Mm -hmm. this week's episode. This is the only story of Doctor Who. And I'm saying story and not episode because it is it is a standalone story yeah. in its own right. This is the only story of Doctor Who to not feature or even mention the Doctor in any way, shape or form. The episode came about because Verity, being the lovely lady that she is, wanted to give the cast regulars an extra week's holiday between the second and third production blocks, extending their break from five weeks to six. So she's like, I want to give them an extra week's holidays. Write me a story and don't have the minute. In the original script, the Varga plants were natural and indigenous to this planet, which I forgot the name of. Uh, We don't know its name now, but we will know its name 
later on. Okay. Yeah. That could be why I've forgotten. Um, but when the planet setting was changed to this planet, they became mm. these creations of the Daleks. This is another missing episode. And we're going to see that a lot over the coming weeks, as we said. There is no surviving footage of this episode. There is, however, surviving audio. And there are two ways for you to watch this episode. Paddy and I watched both versions. The first, and the one that a lot of people will be familiar with for this story, is through our old friends, Loose Cannon. So as part of their series of recreations, they have a version of the story created using available images and audio. They also used images of the actors from other productions around the same time. And they kind of put the faces in on top, which is why sometimes they look a little bit funny. There, there is a noticeable amount of photoshopping, like er, early, early days of Photoshop uh, in it and in future uh, loose cannon recreations of upcoming stories. Yeah, in fairness to them, though, I mean, it's a good attention to detail that like, they tried to find pictures of these actors in 1965 hmm. that they could use, which was very good. Oh, and is. as usual, you can find all the loose cannon stuff on their Daily Motion account. Uh, they also did uh, some uh, non-facial scenes themselves. So, like, the bit where Garvey's body is twitching. Yeah. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, one of the guys is essentially just wore, he cosplayed on the floor and pretended to be, like, the body. Yeah, they did something similar last week for Galaxy 4, I think. They did a lot of, like, sort of behind-the-head shots and, and things like that. Yeah. In October 2019, this story was recreated beat for beat in black and white by the University of Central Lancashire and the whole one of the key points of the recreation was to kind of give it the same production value as something that was made in the 1960s so it wasn't meant to be a modern retake on the episode it was meant to be hey this episode didn't survive we have a script we know what it was meant to shoot like and they recreated it. They also had uh, Edward D'Souza, who plays Corey, as um, an advisor. They did, and I think he did the little intro bit for them. He did, with the very sinister music and Beware the Vargas. <laughs> I was like, ooh. Yeah. They also had Nicholas Briggs, who a lot of people would know is literally, like, Mr. Dalek now. <laughs> he always does the Dalek voices and stuff now. Yeah. So he actually did the Dalek voices for this production for them. And as well, I saw a comment from someone who was in the production online that apparently, I think Caroline Ford and William Russell actually swung by to to say hi when they were making it. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So this is a recreation. And I think I'd be hesitant to say it was an official recreation because it was done by the university. However, it was released on the official Doctor Who YouTube channel. So mm. the BBC is aware of it and they fully support it. Like, I th- I think, like, uh, I've seen a small bit of a debate now as to whether this should be done for all the missing serials. But I think it this one probably just worked for Mission to the Unknown due to the fact it didn't have any of the, the regular cast in it. I think so. I would be hesitant to do this for all the serials. Mm. I mean, it's a lovely idea. And yeah. fair, fair dues to the guys who did it and i'll talk about them but more later on in our overall discussion of the episode but i'll put this out 
I'm about to go into the cast section of our trivia notes. And I'm talking about the original cast who made the story. <laughs> um, recreations are great. Live action recreations are great. But I would, personally, I would prefer people animate the original stuff. Yeah. No, so we I'm, can still get the original actors and things like that. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm kind of the same. Again, like... As I say, I think it just worked well for this one because it was mm. it's a it's a standalone story, and the guys that like I think the students did a fantastic job, between like the produ- like they actually made like the production look like a nineteen sixties style production with like you know bubble wrap and like uh, tarpaulin and all that kind of stuff. But even the camera work looked very like seventies uh, camera work or sixties yeah. camera work. Yeah, reduce them. Mm. So onto our cast now. Before I jump into who does appear. I'd like to point out that William Hartnell still has top billing <laughs> on the story, even though he's not in it. But it's his show. <laughs> yeah, his contract specified that he would be credited for every episode, even in those in which he only appears in the reprise or he didn't feature at all. Now, you remember back in the Crusades, mm. I said there was a bit of an issue because Jacqueline Hill wasn't in one episode and she wasn't credited either. Yes. So it's possible that Jacqueline had a different contract which didn't automatically guarantee her name in the credits if mm. she didn't appear in any way, shape or form in that story. So moving on to our cast. So Corey is played, as you said, by Edward D'Souza. This is Edward's only on-screen Doctor Who acting credit, though he has lent his voice to some big finish productions. His other acting credits include the TV series of The Count of Monte Cristo, The Avengers, Jack and Nori, which I keep confusing with Balanori. Balanori, <laughs> two different things. The Spy Who Loved Me, After Henry, Coronation Street, and The Golden Compass. Not the TV series that's out now, but like the movie from yeah. a while back. Lowry is played by Jeremy Young. This is Jeremy's second appearance in Doctor Who. And we discussed him all the way back in An Unearthly Child, where he played Carl. Which, I'll be honest, I didn't recognise him. No, be- because like the the image that they have of him for Lowry is completely different. Yeah. So, we got he got to come back, which is great. Garvey is played by Barry Jackson. Now, this is Barry's second of three Doctor Who appearances. We previously saw him as Ascaris. The mute assassin in the Romans, which is like, as soon as he appeared on screen in this episode, you sort of see him go off to one side. I'm like, that's the mute assassin guy. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, We'll also see him again in the Armageddon Factor. Barry's non-Doctor Who related work includes A for Andromeda, something from the other end of the alphabet. (laughs) That's got to do with automobiles. Yes. Z cars. cars. Adam Adamant Lives. Blake Seven, Coronation Street, The Bill, A Touch of Frost, Heartbeat, Midsummer Murders. I am seeing a lot of like really classic English TV programs in here. Yeah. And lastly, and I added this one because I wanted to know if you remembered this TV show, Bernard's Watch. No. Oh, you don't remember Bernard's Watch? It was about the kid. This kid got a watch. It was like a fob watch. Yeah. And he could stop time with it. No, not one of mine. <laughs> oh my God. I can't believe you never saw Bernard's Watch. Brilliant. <laughs> He played the granddad in that. <laughs> Barry passed away back in 2013. So, 
for the delegates, I'm just going to focus on the one who primarily speaks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, who's credited as Malfa. And this is Robert Cartland. We discussed Robert last week as he provided the voice for the Rills in Galaxy 4. Oh. The, the delegates are like, they're an interesting bunch because they made them look as alien and unique as possible. Like, but like one guy, he is kind of hard to take seriously because he lo- he looks like he's got like just lots of balls hanging off his face. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you my thoughts on the delegates when we get to that part of the, of the discussion. Okay. <laughs> Go for his weak spot. Where are they? They're all over his face. <laughs> this point in the show we would start discussing the doctor the companions and the villains now while we have villains in the story uh we don't have a doctor or companions Mm. so i have broken mine out into the good guys one of those in quotation marks yeah and the bad guys yeah so we'll start off with the good guys cool so we have lowry and Corey. all right so we start with lowry yeah cool um so there's not really a whole lot to kind of like again like with the nature of one episode it's kind of hard to get really into the characters but i think they give enough of um like a performance that you get like a baseline for them so lowry just seems to me like he's he's a career uh spacefarer like mm-hmm. in the sense of you know like, like you used your authority to take over my ship and all i just want to do is you know do my job make my living um i do like the fact that you know, he at the start he's like seems dead set against Lowry or sorry against Corey, but at the same time he realizes that Corey's probably his best chance of getting off the planet. Yeah, I, I'll be honest, I was kind of I'm kind of a bit stuck on Lowry because at the beginning he starts off as he's the leader of the two, mm. he's very direct, it's very stop talking, do this, we're gonna get this fixed, we're gonna get off this planet. It's very direct, and then as soon as Corey kills Garvey. Mm. It's like his personality, like Lowry's personality went through this complete fucking shift. <laughs> yeah. Where suddenly he was quite subservient. Mm. Do you know? And I get that Corey showed him his ID and, you know, I'm guessing you're kind of meant to respect this super space James Bond service. Mm. But for me, it was kind of a weird, it was a weird flip. And I expected him to sort of be a bit more you can't just take over my ship. You know, this is my ship. This was my crew. He was my friend. What are you doing? But instead, he just becomes like, you killed Garvey. You killed Garvey. You killed Garvey. Okay, I'll do whatever you want. It's kind of funny because obviously it's, you know, spooky season. And uh, um, (laughs) uh, myself and Sarah, we watched The the Thing the other night. And I'm just reminded. Of course you did. Of course I did course um i watch it like all the time even at christmas time because it's set in the snow <laughs> but it kind of reminded me of uh there's a character in it, gary who was like he's the head of the the outpost yeah he's complete once kind of uh kurt russell's character mccready starts to call the shots like he's completely subservient and he just hands over leadership to him so it kind of reminded me of that that type of thing uh, plus just any excuse to talk about the thing. <laughs> uh, but yeah, another thing that I thought was kind of cool, or not, in, well, maybe not so much cool, but interesting, was that 
the Daleks seem to have kind of been relegated to a sort of boogeyman esque role in because like you know Laurie's very like you know, oh Daleks like what you know like no one's seen a Dalek in however long and like, you're just being paranoid yeah like he doesn't he doesn't at the beginning he doesn't really buy into Corey's theory yeah he's kind of just going along with him kind of being like okay like he doesn't really believe him he's surprisingly trusting mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. this guy just shot your crewmate but you know he goes along because he has to but then obviously once he sees the Dalek in the woods then mm. obviously that changes um my final note on Larry was just poor Larry getting stabbed with that thorn. Yeah. And when he got stabbed, to be honest, I was a little bit unsure what scared him more. Knowing what he would become or knowing that Corey would have absolutely no issue in killing him. I, I have a feeling that it might be knowing what he was about to become because like he does kind of end up begging Corey to shoot him. Yeah. But it's like, I wonder if it's like as soon as he scratched his hand, he was like, no matter what happens... This is a fucking death sentence. Yeah. Yeah. I, he was a nice character. I think he was a little bit flippy floppy, but, you know, yeah. not bad. So, so. Yeah. So, how about Corey now? My first note on Corey? Mm-hmm. Dick. <laughs> I get that he's one, like, he's the good guy in quotation marks. Yeah. Right? Because <laughs> he's a good guy in that he's against the Daleks. But what a prick. Yeah, like I, like, to, like he kind of to me, uh, what I put down was that he comes across as a bit of a James Bond type without the sexy charisma or witty repartee. He he just seems like that. Um, there are times like when you got the Daniel Craig, Timothy Dalton, just really hardcore prick Bond, and um, I like you do get the impression that he's just he's all about the mission. And, yeah. And everyone, every, everyone and everything else is expendable. Yeah. And I think, you know, that whole like license to kill, mm. he takes that very, very seriously. seriously. Yeah. Like there was no point when he just like was like, okay, I'll pull Larry back from Garvey and then yeah, we'll kill him. There was no like get him. Away. It was just like, no, he has a gun. Kill him. Yeah. Like he didn't know about the thorn at that point. No. He knew Garvey had a gun and that was it. For all he knew, Garvey hit his head and he just killed him outright. Yeah. I, I was thinking, like, do you remind me of, remind me of um, the pilot episode of Firefly where that uh, that uh, uh, Alliance agent is holding, is it River hostage and Mal just walks up and just shoots him in the head. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Except Mal's nice and this guy's a dick. Yeah. Uh, well, Mal is less dickish than this guy. <laughs> Yeah, but it, there's that yeah. charisma component that yeah, you mentioned yeah, yeah. that this guy is lacking. Yeah, the sexy charisma. Mm. <laughs> um, that being said, though, I am going to be honest. I would I would be interested to see if there is like an expanded universe material with him in it, because I would like to see his if he ha- if he's had previous encounters with the Daleks, that or what are alien species that might have kind of put him on to this thing about the Daleks, just to kind of see what made him into the kind of murder machine that he actually is oh yeah because it's the one thing that's actually quite interesting and i think you know, this is down to the concept that terry had for this story mm. is that Corey is a dick yep but it kind of curious yeah. you know like you kind of want to know more even though he's a complete asshole 
it's like the, the dairy girls thing yeah he's a dick but she's our dick <laughs> <laughs> sorry to any listeners from northern ireland me butchering the accent um one thing i do kind of feel bad about though is that like he was killed at the end of the story obviously mm. and in many ways it's like he was just trying to do his job and he took like, he took his job very seriously he's like the Daleks are here. It is my duty to get this message off. Forget fucking everything else. This is my main job now. Hmm. Is to get this message out there. He's still a dick though. Oh yeah, absolutely. Feel kind, of, feel kind of bad he died. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, so go, and, go rest in peace, Mark Corey. You absolute fucking dick. <laughs> 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 Your service will never be forgotten. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So, do we want to move on to the villains? Yeah, the bad guys. So, we have three sets of bad guys. No Mm -hmm. sort of standalone individual bad guy. Yeah. We have the Varga. Mm -hmm. We have the delegates from the other galaxies. Mm -hmm. And we have the Daleks. So, which order would you like to do those? I'd say we'll go lowest to highest again like we normally do. And I'd start off with the Varga. Cool. They have a very weird way of propagating their species. It makes a bit more sense when you realise that they were genetically engineered by the Daleks, Mm. who we will find out many, many years later were themselves genetically engineered to be just pure hate monsters. So what would a hate monster genetically engineer? Something that if it pricks you, you want to kill everybody. They're also responsible for such greatest hits as the Slitter. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a weird way of propagating species. Like, you get struck by a thorn, you have this urge to kill people, which is very specific. Mm. It's not just anger, it's killing people specifically. And then you turn into one of them. It's, yeah. it's a very interesting mechanism. My notes for these are just very simply, nope, 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 fuck these things. Like, just fucking, you know, take off, nuke the site from orbit, it's the only way to be sure. <laughs> sentient, sentient plant-based villains are, like, it's a complete no go for me in terms uh, when it comes to sci-fi or fantasy or anything like that. It freaks me out. Like I, I'm like one of those guys that watches na- uh, David Attenborough nature documentaries, and I'm like, oh my god, this is so fascinating, so beautiful. Fuck that thing! It stay where it is. I'm going nowhere near it. <laughs> <laughs> and the Varga go right into that <laughs> category. Yeah, the the one question I did have about the Varga is, mm. and it's quite similar to the Slither from the Dalek Invasion Earth. They serve as protection from the Daleks. That's a the Daleks need protection. Well, like if you think about it, what's like like some of the best um, defense you can actually have is like just an inhospitable environment. True, true, and I suppose like I mean, part of them is that you know what's the best defense against an enemy? Turn your enemy into a weird, deadly plant. Yeah, exactly. Like if if they make it past the say, if you have like an entire forest of Varga plants, like after that, then it's the Slitters, and if you get past all that, then it's like, hey, come to Dalek Party Central, woohoo, shoot, shoot. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I suppose, I suppose yeah. in that context, it, it makes sense. Um, yeah. they look really freaking bizarre as well. Oh, I know they say they look a bit like a cactus. They look like spiky like, grape clusters. Yeah. Yeah. It's fucking weird. Duh. So then we have the delegates. Yes. Their designs, I'll be honest, are not the most interesting. Aside from Ballface. Yeah. So, 
they essentially are wearing a variety of spacesuits and like radiation suits. I was like, we'll put you in the radiation suits with the lines going this way. We'll put you in the radiation suit that has the full face covered. We'll put you in the radiation suit that has this. You, we've no radiation suit. You shall be known from now on as Ballface. <laughs> yeah. I don't forget the bald lizard looking dude. Yeah. Wearing a, a Morak uh, uniform. <laughs> yeah, they seem to have just been like someone just raided the... I wouldn't, I wouldn't even know if I'd say someone raided the costume department. Someone raided the fancy dress shop yeah. and just dressed them up in the most spacey looking things they could find. Do you, do you know what this whole kind of gathering reminded me of? And obviously, and I say reminded me of because this came out, uh, I'm going to say, what, 40 years before this movie actually came out? But it reminds me of the uh, Separatist Confederation from Attack of the Clones. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I see that. I can see yeah. that. Um, like, in th- like, you know, with the, the, the different um, galaxies and the different environments, because, like, yeah, obviously some they can't all breathe the same air because then that would just be boring. Uh, they can't all have balls on their face because then that would just be... <laughs> weird. That'd be yeah, weird. That'd be very weird. Uh, <laughs> what was it? Um, but, yeah, like, I... I, I'm I'm very interested in the um the concept of this grand galactic evil alliance. Yeah, my question though is like, mm-hmm. what the fuck do they have against humanity, and uh, the solar system or the sol system? Is, is yeah, so like system. that's one thing to for people right that wh- because obviously like a solar system is a solar system, you know, it's a system of planets around the sun, whereas like for earth based stuff whenever you see it in sci-fi it's usually referred to as the sol system so that's what i'm going to refer to it as from now on yeah whereas in in these stories like they refer to the solar system yeah. is our yeah. solar system obviously they have other ones but for some reason we get the de facto name um yeah. but yeah so i wonder what has humanity done to piss them off or do they just want to expand and is that all so i've you get the impression, right, that this alliance is actually, it's uh, cooked up by the Daleks. Because, like, the Daleks time and time again have shown and will show and will show that they kind of only really rely on themselves. Everything else is essentially cannon fodder. So I have a feeling that, um, and plus, like, you know, like, with Stephen when he was saying like that, you know, Earth fought an inter intercolony war across all the various planets. So we know that, look, if Earth is going further, and we've seen it in all other times of sci-fi, that if Earth goes beyond the realms of the Sol system, they're going to have like argy-bargy with whoever's out there. <laughs> Fighty, kicky, punchy, stabby, shooty all the way. Um, so maybe it's, you know, like one of those, it, it could potentially be a counter threat or a counter attack in the sense mm. of like, no, we're going to get you before you get us. But um, I, I have a feeling that we're going to see more from this council of delegates and we'll get more of their motives. <laughs> Spoilers, Paddy. Well, look, I'm I'm sorry, like, but like, it's a single story episode and they're like going, victory, victory for what? Do you have a plan? Or was this literally just, got, look, Terry needs a job. Terry, here, write this. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> Moving on to Terry's creations, we have the Daleks. I thought you were going to say chocolate oranges. (laughs) No. (laughs) 
Citrus eight. Citrus eight. I really like a, ch- a chocolate orange, though. Maybe you mention it. Yeah. Um, future Trish. Never mind. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the Daleks. So, in fairness, Daleks, mm. good plan. Mm. Set up shop on an evil planet that no one would ever fucking want to go to. Absolutely. Good plan. Particularly when you're in a giant metal casing where weird, creepy planet probably doesn't bother you very much. Yep. That's a good plan. I find it weird to see them pairing up with other species. And in the back of my mind, I was like, you're just going to stab them in the back, right? You're using oh. them for a while and then you're just going to stab them. Do they realise you're just going to fucking stab them in the back because you're the fucking Daleks? <laughs> um, so, uh, this is kind of interesting now, right? Because we saw in the Space Museum that the Space Museum was, it's a monument to the victories of the, the Morak Empire. Yeah. And in it, we saw a Dalek, which kind yeah. of is interesting in the sense of, all right, cool, the Morak Empire at one point in time was a match for the Daleks. Uh, see, I, I've been thinking about this, right? Right. Ever since they, then, because... You, you think they just found one and said, like, yeah, we won? No, the Morak Empire was a match for a Dalek. Ah, okay, right, fair enough. Now, it's possible that they were a match for the Dalek race and that there was a big battle. Yeah. However, given the competency we see of the Moroks... I'm more inclined to go with they were able to take out one. Did I say past Dalek. glories? Past. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, like it's so I've, I've a feeling that right. If you coupled with the fact that it's mentioned that the, the previous invasion of Earth, obviously it failed. Yeah. And we have no idea when the supposed Morok Dalek uh, war happened. Mm-hmm. maybe the other galaxies think that the Daleks aren't as powerful as they initially thought so they're kind of again it could be with the Daleks Supreme which I want to talk about now in a sec maybe it's the Daleks leading them into a false insecurity think that they have the upper hand in this alliance maybe maybe oh. although if I was a member of that delegation I would be like okay if the Daleks start suggesting that my people are the first wave they can fuck right off <laughs> Because if I was the Daleks, I would have all of these people go in first. We come in to do mop-up. Suddenly their armies are decimated and we can go fucking attack them and wipe them out. Operation Ballfish Shield. (laughs) (laughs) One thing though, like, okay, so I've mentioned previously that every time we see the Daleks, we see them in a different capacity. So like we had them in their home planet, we had them as an invasion force, and we had them as a sort of commando chasing through space with that one guy that's on like you know special assignment with his mats um <laughs> but with this one because we're not seeing them from the 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 viewpoint of the doctor and the tardis crew i think they come across as a way more sinister here yeah i mean as well i think with the daleks the daleks are a bit of a funny villain mm. right case in point for Halloween, my nieces think of dressing up as a Dalek, right? <laughs> and we were trying to figure out how to have her dress up as a Dalek when she lives in the country and has to drive house to house mm-hmm. to go trick-or-treating. Yeah. And I was like, oh, are you going to have a plunger and a whisk? And she's like, yeah, why do they have a plunger and a whisk? So in many ways, the Daleks are quite silly. And we have seen instances where when they interact in a fighting capacity, yes, they can be quite deadly, but when you get in close range with these things, it can be quite silly because you can kind of just push them over that way yeah. <laughs> and have them just go away from you. 
What I think makes them more sinister here is that this is the Dalek mentality we're seeing. Yeah. You know, it's not their... Well, we do see them take out Corey. It's not like a battle where they mm. sometimes can't be shown very well in the classic series. Mm. It's... These are an evil race that want to wipe out humanity. And so seeing them from that perspective, I think makes them more formidable. Yeah. Also, I was I mentioned earlier, the concept of the Dalek Supreme. So now we get to see an actual figurehead for the Dalek Society or the Dalek uh, race. And Did we see the Dalek Supreme or a Dalek Supreme in the chase? We saw, I think we see him uh, at the end of the Space Museum issuing an order for the pursuit. Oh, okay. The only other time we see a like so, um, all Daleks because obviously it's black and white. They look the uniform same, the kind of grayish uh, metal. The only time we see a non-gray Dalek is we see a black Dalek in the Dalek invasion of Earth. Uh, but he is a essentially a section chief for the mine oh. at uh, Beresford. Um. Uh, but this one is kind of treated as the, the as the supreme Dalek. Yeah, and all the like the loose cannon stuff lists him as supreme Dalek and everything. Yeah. So, um, I this is one thing that I've been kind of looking forward to seeing is a structure to Dalek society. Mm. Uh, because I think that uh, like I think it's kind of cool because we've we've seen various alien societies have structures. Like, you know, we saw with the sensorites that they have their elders, they have their administrators, they have their soldiers, they have their scientists, this, that, and the other. Um, but, you know, it w- I think it would be interesting to see uh, a Dalek uh, society structure or even a Dalek war machine structure. I just had the weirdest image I turned to my head. What? <laughs> so, we're saying, like, you know, this is like the suggestion of the Dalek hierarchy and you were talking about like the sensorites how they have like first leader second leader and the yeah. only way to tell the difference is because they're sashes yeah and obviously in the sensorites you're like well to pretend to be someone else just <laughs> yeah. wear their clothes yeah. and I had this weird image of like the little Dalek squid thing wake you up in the morning and like reaching over and it's like no where, where's my where's my shell no I can't wear the grey one I want to wear the black one <laughs> I don't know why, but I've just had this image of that now in my head. Uh. No one will know I'm important if I wear the grey one. We all look the fucking same. Uh. Dalek basketball, stripes versus spots. We all have spots. So that is the character and villain discussion done uh, for this week. A really interesting one now, seeing we don't have our regulars uh, to discuss. So how about we move into the overall section and give our scores for this. So Trish, take it away. So this was certainly a different kind of story. Um, I kind of liked it though. It's weird to have a story that doesn't have the Doctor or even mention of the Doctor in any way, shape or form. But I think it kind of worked. It's really interesting to see a story set in the universe of Doctor Who that doesn't feature the Doctor. So we get to see things from a slightly different perspective. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I just realized as well that uh, no one can see me nod in agreement with you. So now I have to say, yes, I completely agree with you. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, I could see. Yeah. No, one else can. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, no, like, um, so like, unlike, you know, the, the, the very first episode we did, like, this is the first time, like, this is not the first time, but when we did like a self-contained one story episode. Yeah. Um, but. I think it did its job perfectly. It's got me very interested to see what's going to happen with this alliance. It really got me interested in like the expanded Doctor Who universe uh, in terms of like the space security service. That's a mouthful. Um, they couldn't abbreviate it like you know with only two S words because that would just be oh. Um, the the characters were kind of cool. As I'd be interested to see more kind of like uh, expanded material for Corey. Uh, see more like I think they they've done a really good job here. I think. Yeah. Um. I was going to say something. Yeah. But then I realized that you wouldn't like it. Go on, say, so it. I didn't. say it. Also, it probably wouldn't work very well on audio. No, go on, say it. Because you were like, you know, they have to be the space security service. They couldn't be. Yeah. Space security. Yeah. Because that would be the SS. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, instead they're. S- <laughs> no, no. But then I realized that sounds a bit like a snake. Yeah. And- no, that's a no-go. <laughs> that's a no-go. And it, one of the things I think is really interesting about this story, though, is, you know, clearly people were really interested in it. I mean, they remade the fucking thing. Yeah. And knowing what we know now of, like, Doctor Who spin-offs and things like that, and, you know, we made mention in previous episodes of, like, unofficial Doctor Who spin-off movies. Yeah. I wonder if this would have made a good sort of even an unofficial Doctor Who spin-off movie. So maybe not as a series, but as like a standalone film. I think it would have. Like, because, like, initially, like, you remember when we were discussing the layout for the episode, like, the episode release, I had initially lumped this one in with uh, the Daleks Master Plan to serve as, like, the first part of it. And then, like, you were saying, oh, maybe that's not fair to do it that way. And now I realise that you're completely right because... This as a story as a, like a standalone deserves to be discussed as a standalone. Yeah, I think so too. Like, and while like you know, classic Who, you know, people always say like, oh, New Who has like all these like you know season long story arcs. Classic Who kind of had that in some ways. Like every story weaved into the next one. Yeah, like because like so definitely with um, I think I think it's actually going to be ending pretty soon but for the a lot of the start of Hartnell's run it was a serialized format that each story would lead into the next obviously the season breaks would you know be the season break but in season everything would lead towards the next one like I mean like we literally we had a literal fucking cliffhanger (laughs) from to transition from the, the rescue into the Romans yeah um but like so like yeah like obviously this is going to go somewhere the story is going to lead into something, yeah. and like we'll see it again as time goes on. Like there will be more stuff and more references, and also like New Who as well had standalone episodes that mm. didn't have anything to do with the overall arc, and so like yeah, I think both of them are kind of I won't say guilty of the same thing, but they did the same thing at, at various different times. Yeah, for me though, I think this this one episode, this twenty six minutes or whatever mm-hmm. it did its job i'm really oh. interested to see what's 
going to come out of this meeting with the delegates and stuff like that. So it did its job, which is very good. Yeah. Um, like one one thing, all right, that I was kind of I would have liked to have seen is that the space security service mm. are meant to be the uh, counterpoint or the counter agents to Daleks. So I would have liked to have seen like Corey maybe take down one or two before he was killed. So I have a thing on that, right? So right. Corey says that they obviously tracked the Daleks in terms of they were keeping an eye on what they were doing over the thousand years since mm. their failed attack on Earth. But I never got the sense there was any direct interaction with them. So it's sort of like we've researched you, but we've never actually fought you. So I, I'm not as bothered by the fact that like Corey didn't go down in a blaze of glory taking out Daleks mm. as he went or something like that. I'm not massively concerned about that because it's sort of like I know exactly how to do this thing. I've never fucking done it before, but I've read about it. So that counts as the same thing, right? And then you actually realize, no, you've you only read about it. You've never actually done it. Do you know? Uh, I suppose it's like dwarves and dragons. In theory, we can take a doubt. In theory. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, question. Yes. If you were to recommend this story, we'll give our scores. Oh, we'll give our scores now. Screw it. Okay. So, yeah. I gave this a three. No, that's a that's a decent score. Uh, I went s- bit higher. I went three point seven five. Okay. Because um, no, sorry. Go on. As I said, my three was because it was a good story, um, but I think the characters were a little bit too one note. Mm. Now, I, this has to be balanced with the fact that it was one episode, but I think the characters were a little bit too too one note for me, and actually, it was too short. I would have liked to have seen this as a two-parter. Do you know, I think it would have made it a lot more interesting if it was told over two episodes rather than one. So, it lost point for not being long enough. <laughs> uh, no, that's that's interesting because I'd be, I'd be curious to see how they would draw it out in a sort of, um, like, would they have captured Corey and, you know, tell us what you know, Mr. Corey, you know, that type of, carry on the James Bond vein of things. Um... But I don't know. Maybe like, but like obviously Verity wasn't willing to give them two weeks extra holidays. Just <laughs> no. And also, you made hint of the fact that like this story isn't just like a one-off into the ether. It's setting up something. So. Yeah. No, I think um, like I remember before again when I watched it the first time around. Um, I thought it's like that. Ah, you know, I I think you can. I think you can give it a skip. But. I would definitely uh, recant that statement now and say, with what's about with what's going to happen, you know, in the future, I would say definitely watch it because one, it leads into it, but not only that, it also lets you know that the Doctor Who universe can survive without the Doctor. Yeah. In that there is stuff going on, like you could. I honestly like, and especially now with Big Finish and what they've done with some of the the characters from the show and the one offs and stuff like that, I think I would be interested to see a story based from the Daleks' perspective, like maybe like again like a mini series of like the Daleks trying to launch a new invasion or trying to rebuild their power base or anything like that. Kind of like um, you know, like we've seen mini series like you know the revival of Battlestar Galactica. We even saw like the you know the V series from like mm. back in the eighties, uh, which didn't like the first series didn't really end 
like with the definitive thing it kind of went you know the fight continues yeah so like, I, I don't see like why you know a Dalek miniseries couldn't be done then and like, I'd love to see it now but I suppose Big Finish have thankfully provided that so that if we can't get it on TV we can at least get it on audio yeah so that sort of brings me back around to what my question was going to be about we can't get it on TV hmm. if you were going to recommend someone watch this story yeah are you going down the loose canon route with the original audio or are you going down the recent recreation that's on the Doctor Who YouTube channel? So, okay, for me personally, I would always tell the person, look at the source, like, or like watch as much of the source as you can. So obviously I would point them to loose canon. If people aren't kind of into watching one watching the older stuff or two watching something that's missing which is understandable i would recommend get two screens watch the recreation turn it off turn off the, the volume and listen to the audio tra- listen to the audio track from the original because it's a shot for shot dialogue for dialogue or sorry line for line recreation so i i, I would like i said i'm definitely recommending people to check it out yeah, I think for me, I think a lot of people would prefer the shot for shot remake. You yeah, know? It, it's just an easier tra- it's just an easier view because all oh, right, I can associate what's going on. Like, yeah, and like, sometimes with the loose cannon stuff, and this is said with the utmost credit for the work that those guys do because mm. they're absolutely amazing. Sometimes it's kind of difficult to follow what's actually happening. Yeah, because. They try to provide like that transition text, mm-hmm. but it's not always there. And sometimes there's just long periods of quiet where clearly things are happening on screen, but there's just silence on the audio track. And so you don't see anything changing. You're not hearing anything. And you're like, okay. I, th- I think, I think what they try to do is, is kind of like what I try to do when I'm doing the summaries is you try and get the most experience explanatory i think that's the word explanatory text for a long period of activity so like say for example if you know if the if a character's in a room and he's searching for something it's like we'll say steve steven is searching the room for something and it's like okay you hear drawers and presses and all this stuff being opened it's like right you know it's 30 seconds on i can assume that he's still looking through the fucking room yeah (laughs) for me though i would agree with you though in many ways like you know, when we were talking about doing today, you asked me, like, do we want to do the reconstruction or do we want to do loose cannon? And my answer was loose cannon. Mm-hmm. Because for this show, for, for this podcast, we like to review what actually went out <laughs> in yeah. as much as we can. Yeah. So I would always be one to support, like, the original actors mm. and because they got their performance. And it kind of just reminds me of like, do you remember when we met Jeremy Bullock? Yeah. And he wasn't exactly pleased with how he was essentially replaced in Star Wars. Yeah. Do you know? Um, And, you know, even I think certain edits of the film even remove his name from the credits. And they replace him with the other guy or the guy who does have him just as the guy who does the voice. I think what was it in the original cuts I think even like basically everything up until post prequel trilogy 
Mm. He was credited as Jeremy Bullock. Yeah. When they added in Tamora Morrison, the guy who does the voice for Django Fett, mm. or the guy, or sorry, who is Django Fett, when they added in his voice, uh, Boba Fett became credited to Tamora Morrison, I think. Yeah, I think he was completely removed. And that, to me, is a crock of shit. <laughs> it is. Also, I was very sad to find out that Jeremy Bullock no longer attends conventions. Yeah, that's... That's right. I wonder why. I suppose, like, like he's... Like, he's, like, in nearly... Yeah, he's in his 80s, like, so... Oh, that, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just see him as, like, Haldi Archer. I yeah. don't really think about... Like, like we, we can't all be Shatner. We can't all like, just <laughs> be, like, a perpetual convention machine. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, so for me, I would... I think the recreation is great and fair fucks to those guys. Like, yeah. seriously, you guys did an amazing job. And I would definitely watch it. But I would also watch the Loose Cannon version to get those original performances. Yeah. And like, again, like with the Loose Cannon guys, like they've kind of laid the groundwork for the the, anim- the animated episodes as well because look, with the scripts, with the audio and with all the uh, linking stuff. And as you said, some of them have gone to work for the BBC in terms of the actual animated recreations. So like whenever like there's an animated one there, oh, we'll, we'll review the animated one, knowing from the fact that it kind of helps stem from Loose Cannon as well. Yeah. Exactly. So that's it for this week, guys. Uh, join us next week where we take you a trip to the ancient city of Troy in the Mint Makers. Bye. Bye. Do, 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 do.